0: Hello everybody, welcome to Treasure Island Pedagogies and this is a podcast by the Centre for Innovation in Education at the Liverpool University. What we've asked you to do is share a light bulb moment with your students. So if we imagine instead of desert islands, we are on Treasure Island with students, you know, when the treasure is, is their light bulb moment, you know, the learning. Can you talk a little, ba- little bit about what your light bulb moment is? was, you know, just uh, choose one one of those probably many that you have had and what, what made that happen.
1: My name is uh, Marika Riethoff and I'm uh, in the Department of Modern Languages uh, and I work there as a, as a specialist in Latin American politics. Um, so uh, just as, um, as a little bit of an anecdote, one of the countries that I'm interested in is Chile and Chile has an overseas territory that is the Original desert islands, uh, so the Juan Fernandez Islands. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that uh, at the start. That's fantastic.
0: I- Thank you so much. That's brilliant. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so I've never been there, but uh, it's a, it's still a possibility. Um so I've had many light bulb moments uh, uh, since I started preparing for the uh, well for the adjustments for to the pandemic. Uh, but my main light bulb moment was uh, shared uh, documents. And um, it, that's not something new But because students uh, use that already uh, for group assignments of my modules. But I start to think about uh, shared documents as a way in which students could work together without needing a, a video calls or a very kind of good internet connection. And they could also potentially work uh, in their own time together uh, to create um, a timeline, for example, um, which they would usually do with pen and paper. But actually, uh, the digital format gives them a lot of opportunities for uh, for creativity.
0: Yes, and can you can you talk a little bit how they've used it, or what what's the you know why why do you know it's a light bulb for them?
1: Well, I've asked my students to uh, to uh, create. Um, uh shared presentations or documents uh, in preparation for seminars um and i gave them quite a, a wide remit and also a number of different platforms uh, in terms of software to uh, to create these um these items um and uh in in one case i asked them to create a timeline of the cold war the Cold War in Latin America. And in this timeline, they had to show that they understood the different definitions of the Cold War that we discussed in class, uh, and also um, what key events would they choose. So they had to provide both an individual um, input and uh, and a group uh, coordination. And I was really impressed by the range of different uh, timelines they created. Uh, from a a Word document to uh, really elaborate PowerPoint presentations. Um, And uh, I was very impressed by uh, what Mm I managed to produce.
0: Yeah, and so you obviously had a sense of uh, also the collaborations that reach different um, outcomes. And did you also then discuss these timelines together as a group?
1: Yes. So if they, uh, they had to um, present their timelines in an online seminar on Zoom. So they, uh, they learned to practice uh, screen sharing, coordinating a very small group presentation, uh, answering questions. Uh, so it was also about the skills of the online uh, environment um, and they posted it on the discussion board.
0: Great. Thank you, Marika. That's That's lovely to hear. And yeah, that sounds like lots of light bulb moments in the different groups as well chris i think would you like to share your light bulb moment
2: yeah i would yeah thanks for that marika really interesting to go through and hear about how you've made the changes to sharing documents online for the students to prepare in advance of seminars i think it's a great idea i'm chris barlow i lecture on the accounting and finance undergraduate program in the university of liverpool management school my light bulb moment i suppose was over the summer uh, whilst I was sat there staring at a computer screen like most of us probably did during the summer months. Focused around student engagement because I think that was my biggest concern as we moved into this world of hybrid active learning is that it would potentially become hybrid inactive learning because the students are actually sat there doing nothing whatsoever. So I thought, how can I ensure that my first year undergraduate skills module, which, you know, is relatively straightforward for first year students. A lot of it is common sense. How could I make sure that they actually engage and partake within that module? So I was thinking about various different ways of what I could do to get them involved. And I just thought, what's the the carrot that you can dangle in front of a student that will make them grab that carrot straight away? And having taught at the university for for nearly five years now, I've come to the realisation that the only thing that you can sometimes dangle in front of students is marks. Uh, marks that count towards the final actual outcome of the module. So I thought, right, uh, it's first year, so it, 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 the students that only need to pass. They want to try and score as highly as possible. So what I did is I integrated some skills tasks into the module on an ongoing basis. So there's a series of six different skills tasks. Each one is worth 5%. So, you know, I'm A poor performance on one isn't going to be damaging overall. So students may miss it because they're not on top of things, but it does give them an opportunity each week to actually engage in the process and what's going on. So it's been quite successful. At least I perceive it to be that way so far. Uh, You know, so one of the first tasks that we did was around networking. And in previous years, I've set the students a task that wasn't part of a summative assessment. To get them to create a LinkedIn profile and you'd get a dozen students that would create a LinkedIn profile which is a start but that was just asking them out of the kindness of my own heart to create a LinkedIn profile and extol the benefits about how it's going to help them in the world of employability but for the other 100 students I may have just banged my head against the brick wall and said yeah do whatever you want with regard to your employability come back to me in three years when you might not have a graduate job. What I went through and did is one of the tasks was to go through and set them a challenge to create a LinkedIn profile. There was five tasks within there. Each one that they completed was 1% of the module. Uh, How many completed it? All of them. Uh, So there's 115 students now on LinkedIn. Uh, Similar as well, there's a skills focused around careers. Uh so we do focus heavily not just on the academic skills but also employability skills. So I thought, right, what other tasks can I set them in relation to careers? I know we've got a brand new platform called Handshake. So let's go through there and get the students on Handshake and get them to understand how it goes through and works. And again, how many of them have been on handshake? All of them. Okay, why? Because it counts for five percent of the module. If I turn around to the students and said, right, this week, I'd like you to go and look at events that are advertised on Handshake. I'd like you to go through and follow employers. I'd like you to message students that are in a graduate role that have previously been on the accounting and finance students or on the accounting and finance programme. I reckon I could count the number of people that would do that on one hand, maybe using one finger as well. But as soon as you say (laughs) this is 5% of the module, Everybody gets into it and everybody engages. So hopefully now they're going to grow the network on LinkedIn. They're going to understand handshake that little bit better. And then I put in tasks there in relation to the library and referencing. I've put tasks in in relation to commercial awareness. I've put tasks in in relation to organisation and planning and online video presentations and well as well. So. Yeah, it, it, I wasn't too sure about how successful it's going to be, but in terms of student engagement, it's got them hook, line, and sinker.
0: Yeah, fantastic results. You talked about you making them connect with the accounting and financing finance students. So, so a, a number of these skills are, I suppose, generic academic skills and you know things that they any graduate will need. But I'm, I'm also interested in what was the think that so you you seem to have also hooked i mean in terms of your disciplinary engagement and your disciplinary networks is yeah, that def- right or can you comment on that
2: no definitely though no. so we actually got uh, an email from one of our students that graduated last year that had secured a graduate job at deloitte and one of the tasks was to go through and, and message a former student and she's had a considerable number of messages from students so she got in touch to say look I really want to go back to all these students but i might not have the time so it has just got the students to reach out not just to students on the program in their year group but also students who've recently left us and the linkedin task as well has encouraged them to join clubs and societies so the accounting and finance society got them to link with peers on on the the years above so it has worked in terms of creating a bit of a a community uh, when it's quite a challenging time to do so
0: Mm-hmm. Great, thank you, Chris. Thanks for sharing your LIBOR moment. And can I ask Jennifer you, for you to share one of yours?
3: Hi, everyone. Um, I just want to say, first of all, Chris, I'm really impressed by the at length she goes to bribe your students to get involved. I think that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> forward with that and just think trying to work out how I can do that in my modules <laughs> now. That sounds brilliant. Um, my name's Jennifer Clunzer-Rossa and I'm a lecturer in nursing. I'm fairly new to the university, only joined in summer from one of the Manchester universities. So it's been a bit of a baptism of fire. And I suppose talking about my light bulb moment is actually a little while ago at my previous institution, I've not really been here long enough to <laughs> me yeah. But um, I came, my clinical background as a major trauma trauma sister in theatres at the Major Trauma Centre in Manchester. So going from that to coming into ac- like academia was a bit, a, a, a definite change in career and a definite change in pace. And when I first came into teaching, I was very, I don't know, couldn't quite work out my own style, very aware of what you were meant to be doing and what university teaching was meant to be like, rather than necessarily what I was like as a teacher. And I do a lot of uh, trauma and sort of global health, global health is my sort of baby, global surgery is my baby research wise and I was teaching sort of a global health module where I was looking at um, communicable and non-communicable diseases and sort of nursing care within multi-organisational care and that kind of thing and I had a bit of a light bulb moment of just having a day of being, I don't know, I don't know what was wrong with that particular day, too much coffee probably and a little bit fed up and I kind of came up with this idea of instead of just doing kind of lectures like I thought you were supposed to do, it's basically creating a whole sort of scenario where basically I had, for anyone who's familiar with the geography of Manchester, um, a civil war in the UK between Scotland and England and Manchester became the centre of the government and the M60 Ring Road which runs around Manchester. Basically everything outside of that was Scottish territory, everything inside was English territory and I had the students being, it was like a humanitarian war zone basically and the students were given in groups varying different roles of the World Health Organization, the UN, UK government, you know, major charities all this different sort of stuff and I basically gave them all loads of different information and sent them all off to go and plan a response and come back and brief the press at the end of the briefing me and my friend who's an ex-REF medic just had an absolute ball planning it I think we went a little bit crazy when we were doing it we had so much fun. Um, Sounds amazing yeah. (laughs) I've got to be. it was a lot of fun planning it and it was it was off the back and we did two I did two two sort of detailed in-depth lectures on Varying structures of global healthcare and all that kind of stuff, but it's quite hard. It was for second-year students, and for a lot of students who haven't worked in that setting, it's just so much information to take on board, and it's you know all these names of organisations you've heard of but you don't really understand what they do and. So we just I did this one particular session, this um, massive group scenario that ran It ran for about four hours with like a 45 minute press briefing. And then the students had a few hours to plan scenarios and like collaborate in between the groups. And then they came back to brief the press at the end, which was me. And it, it was a real light bulb moment the fact the session was one of the best sessions I have ever taught and is still ever taught. I've run it a few times since in varying different scenarios. And it's It was. I get the best engagement. The students have an absolute ball because it's a little bit more fun than just sitting in a lecture. It's fun learning. It sounds really kind of patronising, but it's, and they can actually apply all that theory that we sit and tell them. They actually get to apply it. But in nursing, um, as probably any other professional degree, they get so much thinking about their careers as they qualify, thinking about how the skills they need to pick up immediately that they don't always get to look at the bigger picture of other things that are going on in the world. So I've always hated. It's one of the sessions I always get really, really good feedback for. And it kind of, my light bulb moment performance was that you, A, active learning works, funnily enough, that's why all the research shows it works, because it does. But also, I think as a teacher, you kind of got used to what your style that suits you. You know, I sit and watch colleagues who teach lectures in really creative interesting ways but I know I can't pull that off and so I've kind of relaxed into thinking now that I have a set teaching style and it's okay for it to be a little bit different from what my colleagues are and as long as it's working for the students then then everyone's happy really.
0: You you mentioned that this task also sees the bigger picture in terms of their profession (laughs) and also in in what sense the press briefing what is it that adds to the because I'm guessing there is you mentioned two groups or are they doing similar things? So I had six different
3: groups uh, of different, right, okay. I mean, different global agencies which is if anyone who ever been involved in humanitarian aid I've done some work in Uganda and things clinical work in Uganda and stuff like that and if you're ever involved in that kind of setting or even just in the NHS there's so many different organisations involved in doing anything <laughs> as there probably is in every profession ever there's just multiple multiple people and communication isn't always great between us organizations and it's trying to get them to think about into collaboration collaboration with colleagues and thinking more about so in this that I gave them details essentially a little bit like you'd see in the media when you hear about what's happening in Yemen or you hear about COVID you get a press briefing I was just
0: gonna say it's very topical this whole situation isn't it well, yeah, well, um,
3: funnily yeah. enough, I actually did, one, actually did one based around Ebola, and that was not that long ago, and I was like, oh, God, I'm jinxing the world. But
0: <laughs> it was... You're preparing that, the world. You're preparing the professionals to be for. ready for the situation. <laughs> yeah.
3: Preparation. Um, yeah, the, the whole point of the press briefing at the end of it was that that, that is how this information gets relayed very often. And the idea of the scenario is that they were all given different information. I told them in the initial kind of starting off that if they wanted to plan a proper response, then they needed to collaborate with the other organisations. They needed to designate a spokesperson and that spokesperson needed to talk to other organisations because they all had little different bits of information. And I think the first time I did it, I had six groups, five groups, absolutely run with it and had an absolute ball and one particular group didn't really they just couldn't get on board with it I had a, a young girl who was in the TA who just kept telling me in the TA all they do is triage and I was like but logistically triage is useless by its. So tri- triage is great but if you can't get a patient to a hospital it's utterly pointless so it's trying to get them to think about that and when they did the present each organization did a presentation to the press basically with their designated spokesperson and there's a bit of I suppose peer feedback peer competition as well because this particular group who didn't engage went first and their presentation was not particularly well thought out. It was like two seconds long and like, oh, we're just gonna do this. And then the rest of the group stood up and like, we're gonna do one. And he had these brilliantly creative, really, really well thought out responses and came up with some stuff that I think I could never have taught you to come up with this. You've done that all on your own. Um, and there's a that little bit, you could see the one group who weren't that bothered um by the end of it being a, ashamed a not fair words, but a little bit like, oh yeah okay so everyone else has actually gone for this and we're the only people who haven't so there was a little bit of peer competition I suppose but it was just but it was fun it was a fun session it's fun for the students and it's fun to teach which is nice you don't always get that I don't think.
0: Mm Great and and um, I see, it sounds like I was just imagining a, a ceiling full of light bulbs here for that because I think lovely the intergroup collaboration and communication is mirroring life and that's how the, the group task worked as well, which I think is again very authentic, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you for sharing this. Joel, last but not least, can you share with one of your light bulb moments with us, please?
4: Sure. So, so, I'm Joel Hadley. Um, I'm from the Department of Mathematical Sciences. Uh, I lead the Mathematics Centre for Enhancement in Education. We've also restructured our assessments for, for COVID. Um, so, I think, Chris, in the spirit of uh, collegial debate, I, I hope you don't mind me saying we, we've moved away from the model that you've moved to. Because what we found, um, so, so the, the literature quite often is, uh, equates uh, stakes with value. But, um, you know, I, I don't gamble, but if you ever go to play roulette, then you'll know that stakes is not the same as value. You can bet on different stakes with the same value. So, so I would say that um, a model with lots of high stakes, low value assessments, what we found is that the students tended to have quite strategic engagements with it. It was about doing it and getting it done, not so much learning uh, from it and uh, students tended to equate effort with quality, um, which was something that lasted into future years. I tried my, I tried hard on this, why didn't I do well? Um, and we found it was quite difficult to communicate standards. Our chunks were much smaller than the ones Chris described, so it probably is a different model that we're moving away from. Um, so the, the model we have now is, um, nearly all of our modules are 50-50. So 50 marks in semester, which is uh, chunked into um, chunks, no less than 10%, supported by formative, and then 50% at the end. So that's a balance between using the assessment in semester to motivate, but allowing time for assimilation with some at the end. Um, So we've been able to have a put forward a clearer description of standards, um, rather than it just being about the students getting the work done so so that was the the light bulb moment
0: Mm -hmm. lovely i think it's very topical as well in terms of student engagement okay any any thoughts before we move on to teaching props any reflections from your four light bulb moments
1: i uh, i was really interested to to hear about uh, jen's uh, uh, kind of role play simulation Um, i do uh, i'm actually planning next week to do something well not quite similar but i'm asking students to to undertake a role play exercise so I would be really interested to know how do you do that on an online platform so I've been doing this for, for years so students have to negotiate a democratic transition uh, between different actors in, in Latin students love it but I'm trying to think of uh, good ways to do this online so it would be
3: great to hear how uh, you would do that yeah I find I don't know about you I find uh, that's so interesting I find that whole idea really really interesting and I don't know about you I've I found it It's a shame a lot of the way I like to teach is by doing a lot of collaboration and discussion and I found it really difficult doing that online you just don't get that same kind of of off the hoof connection but I know what I've been doing I teach a lot of anatomy and physiology which again can be quite intense and applying pure science to clinical practice can be quite challenging and one of the things I've done which I haven't the modules not finished yet so I don't know how this will evaluate, or what the students really feel they've got the value from yet, but to try and get that similar kind of group engagement, I suppose. I've been using uh, clinical case scenarios where they learn about a particular physiological system and then they go into groups and work on different case scenarios based around that, where because of the varying, wonderful varying rules of COVID, at the start of the semester they were in bubbles for their clinical skills, so they could all meet up in person, and then that's obviously changed by by the day as we go through the pandemic. Um, but I think a, what we've been doing a lot of in our schools, using a lot of sort of Zoom breakout rooms, because the students can then still jump between rooms and you can still get that kind of inter-collaboration. It's not as easy as it is in person. And I don't know whether that worked for you or not. But we've been doing because the nature of our degree is quite um, hands on and quite it's collaborative by nature uh we've been doing a lot of that and it has been working i i don't think we've necessarily got that perfect yet i think there's probably other things we could be doing that would help with that but that might help a little bit i don't know
0: what would be an important teaching prop or a teaching pedagogy approach uh, that you would bring to your treasure island with students
1: so I was thinking uh, about uh, a lot of different things uh, for for this, but w- one of my main lessons, I think, from this semester so far is to have um, a sense of uh, taking students on a on a journey that's that's uh, not very well known to yourself and to to the students. Um, so. In terms of uh, the, the analogy of the desert island, I mean, we all know a little bit about what the island looks like. The, it could have a beach or a rocky coast or uh, palm trees, uh, maybe uh, a few paths used by the animals. So, I see my role uh, in that sense as a teacher. Of, um, of providing um, a, some kind of roadmap, and roadmap is not exactly the right phrase because it's a desert island. But um, no, it's, ours uh...
0: is a treasure <laughs> island. This is the reason. So it's, <laughs> it's not deserted. <laughs> the it's treasure islands. Yes. Full students and you. <laughs> if, and so, what would you need to to be, you know, to enhancing students' learning on your treasure islands when you are together with the students? Yes. So
1: uh, the roadmap is uh, is my uh, framework of of guiding the students towards different uh, uh, different things that they need to uh, to find the treasure. I mixed up the treasure and the desert, uh, but it could be both, uh, of course. <laughs> um, and um, so uh, I uh, I think the the digital format uh, allows for uh, for a lot more guidance in that sense, and and also uh, the digital format. Allows you to point students in uh, in the direction of uh, resources that uh, that are not necessarily uh, so easy to to access when you when you're just in a lecture room. So um, I'm I've been working with my students on uh, digital archives, so archives about Latin America and the Cold War period. Um, so normally even taking my group of 90 students to an archive wouldn't really be a, a possibility. Yeah. But uh, in this case, I've been sending them to digital archives all around the world, and they've found treasures in the archives. And uh, some of them That's have brilliant. been very excited uh, by the, by this experience. But I see myself not as uh, directing students to, let's say, find the treasure, uh, uh, through a preset map that I've uh, or preset uh, set of activities that I've designed, but I want them to explore their own way and learn from the journey for their own uh, benefits.
0: Yeah, that's lovely. Thank you. Chris, what teaching proper pedagogy would you take
2: oh, I think? To, I think my teacher, at, the, at the moment, I couldn't, I couldn't live without a good old fashioned Kahoot quiz, uh, without having Kahoot quizzes to go through and keep the kids entertained uh, online. Then I, th- then I think I'd struggle. It gives them an opportunity to to test the knowledge from the recorded learning materials. It gives you an opportunity to to test them on just knowledge that's generally related to, to the topic that they may or may not know without it being, you know, counting towards the module or putting them under any pressure. And it also actually gets them to, to use the phone uh, in a way that fits into the module as opposed to using the, the, the phone to to distract themselves mm-hmm. whilst trying to talk to them and keep them engaged so yeah definitely a Kahoot quiz at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Brilliant do you find because Kahoot has again just um, picking up on the competitive element? because I think with Kahoot the timing of the so it, it's not enough if you know the response but you need to be fast with that do you find that that as a you know something that might engage students or is it is it uh, less important in in this case?
2: uh i suppose there's always a competitive element isn't it because they like to see themselves on the top of the podium at the end of it in position one two or three uh sometimes it can actually lead them to to making the mistakes that that they shouldn't be making and taking the wrong one because they're trying to do it too quickly as opposed to actually focusing on getting the answer right Uh, so i think that there's a fine balance between the two in terms of getting it right Mm -hmm. and getting it right in, in in the right amount of time i think if they slow down a bit and get them all right uh, they'll still come out on top, uh, even though uh, others will have got fewer writing in quicker time.
0: Mhm. Great, okay, thank you. Yeah, so Kahoot quiz and journey. What about you, Jennifer? What would be your teaching proper pedagogy that you would take?
3: I don't know if this is cheating or not, but I'm going to go for a teaching proper pedagogy, but if it's cheating, I'll just drop one. Um, <laughs> my pedagogy, yeah, <laughs> active learning, because I, I just think that's, for me especially on my program it's probably the best way of learning for a lot of our students as long as they've got the underpinning theory and my prop would be a skeleton which isn't as weird as it sounds when you think about the fact i teach about orthopaedic trauma it's really just handy to be able to point at the bones on a body rather than trying to point at your own body and make them work out where ribs and stuff are so from am loud both, that's what i'll take <laughs> i think i
0: think we can accept that we have we, people have asked to take whole chemistry labs to the island and and things like that. So I think we can make an exception. So I mean, in, in a sense, uh, Chris also, you know, with your quiz as well, that's uh, active. Le- that's an example of active learning as well. So that's another connection. Thank you. Yeah. What about you, Joel? In math?
4: um Yeah. So I'm glad we've established that there's good Wi-Fi on this island um because i would take mobius assessment which is an an online learning platform and and when we first used mobius assessment our our reasons were to try and simplify marking and try to um, discourage collusion so completely teacher-centered reasons when we when we started um i hold my hand up for that Um, But what we found is that we can use it in a really constructive way. So because the uh, numbers are randomized on on Mobius, um, what we were finding is when we were... um,
0: Sorry Joe, can you explain to us who are not familiar with Mobius?
4: Sure, so it's it's an automated um, assessment tool uh, specifically for math and it's really powerful. It's got a, a really powerful math engine behind it. So it can generate random questions. It can mark automatically. Um, when, when I say generate random questions, I, I don't mean like what some VLEs do where you have five questions and it uses one. It can generate random from a virtually unlimited um, database and it does the algebra to set the question up as well. So, so when I say random, I mean almost truly random. Mm -hmm. very low probability that two students in the class will have the same question. Um, And the reason I think that's really important, um, it's really good for for online and hybrid teaching, actually, because it means um, students can get support from the platform all the time, even if the lectures aren't aren't around. But there was a light bulb moment moment with Mobius where um, we saw students working on the, the problems, and instead of saying, what's the answer to question one? The students were saying, "What's the method for question one? they couldn't share the answer. they had to share the method mm, so
0: that's fantastic
4: we, yes I'm not saying we got rid of collusion we, we, um, we did something to discourage collusion, but then we also did something to encourage collaboration
0: fantastic <laughs> sorry, I'm speechless because that was a lovely summary of, of yeah of the of the advantages and how your reasons from a pedagogy oriented reasons of adopting the tool is now completely, you know, the learner focus and how they are learning. In the, in this next stage, what so, so we have got lovely treasure islands, but there is four, at least four treasure islands next to each other with amazing student engagement. Marika's students are, and especially the real, the original treasure island, Chrissy's students, Jennifer joy your students are so engaged collaborating you know we talked about um, comparing your disciplines perhaps similarities or differences is there anything from each other's pedagogies teaching props that you think could work for you
2: so i suppose mobius might fit into one of our first year modules whereby there's a, a quant module uh, that gets them set up for all the the numbers and the maths that they're going to experience over the the remainder of the accounting and finance program so i think that might be some uh cross-disciplinary sharing of knowledge that we we, we could look at
0: any other spots yes. yeah go on marie
1: yes uh well i'm i've been thinking about it, uh, because i use a lot of formative group work but it can be tricky if it's formative i mean it's useful but it's uh, when students' workload increases, when uh, you know when group doesn't work that well, uh, that w- they might need an added incentive. So it will be interesting to see if I, I can link it to more of an incentive structure, like marks uh, um, in in the future. Uh, for example, uh, maybe peer feedback uh, and uh, and adding a small uh, uh, reward for that. Uh, and I already mentioned the uh, scenario from Jen that's uh, that will be very interesting to uh
3: to learn from. now I was gonna say I actually kind of agree with what Meg's just said about Christmas stuff. In my previous institution we went to um especially around I, and it sounds really safe for first years they had like a library workbook where they had to complete the workbook because it's helped them do like literature searching skills and you know basics or research skills and we basically incentivize that by giving students five percent of their overall grade and the more i think about it's it, chris thing. And we could do we could do things like that again but also listen to marie, marie was saying about her you know how to her using like a negotiation tactic for students between power base and Latin America and that here thinking there's so many kind of cross-disciplinary ways you could do that that would be so interesting if you run like a multidisciplinary sort of scenario with all these different people involved it could be a really really good learning experience for the students to actually work with people who have completely different backgrounds that they need information from could be really interesting.
4: So I, I would like to um, try and do um, something like what Jennifer's doing, um, as we, we're finding it very difficult to encourage students to talk to each other in, in breakout rooms, um, so I, I completely agree with, with active learning, it's just very difficult to do it in practice remotely, um, and if we could find something or, or some authentic assessment or, or authentic problem to, to um, as, as a sort of anchor for that. Uh, along the lines of what Jennifer's doing that I think I'd
0: really like to explore. And I'm just interested in what uh, I think Chris did you say something like because when we were comparing topics you said something like accounting is nursing.
2: Accountants uh, c- could be seen in terms of, of nursing businesses uh, to ensure that they get through difficult times uh, so obviously the current pandemic is, is uh, gonna bring accountants to, to the fore uh, it might have the opposite effect as well uh, if the wrong decisions are taken. But you know, uh, I think also as well, that I think we mentioned that accounting is the language of business. So bringing in the languages side of it, I think that's a, a phrase taken from the investor Warren Buffett. I think he used that uh, many times, so I can't lay claim to that one. Uh, but yeah, definitely I think accountants do have a, a big role to play uh, in terms of ensuring that, that businesses can, can negotiate these difficult times and that they can come up with, with, with strategies moving in, into the future with, with new ideas Uh, new ways of of getting business out there to to, to sell the products or to sell the services to the customers and I suppose the Brexit on the horizon as well I think we might need a few sticking plasters uh, once, once that hits us at the end of this month but I won't say any more about that
3: It's funny that you say about that. Though one of the big things we teach our students in public health is about healthcare innovation and uh, cost cost efficacy of healthcare innovations, and why an awful lot of healthcare innovations fail because they're not cost effective, or how we um, you know meter out things like screening and stuff like that. And a lot of that is I know it's the same. So it's principles of what uh, you guys are teaching in sort of maths and accountancy, but for our students that can be because we don't really look at finance and yet they also have to look at finance sometimes. It's a quite interesting crossover, really, because it's skills that we don't necessarily have that we have to use in practice that can make it very challenging for us. And yet we've got resources for people who know far more.
2: <laughs> you know, you can you can bring this into the syllabus and the students will just sit there and it goes in one ear and comes out the other. And then five to ten years later you bump into them on the streets and like oh i remember what you taught us and i've now realized it, it's so 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 important it's like well there was a reason <laughs> that i told you told you that and 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 that's not just something you know that relates also within the management school as well at times uh you know when you look at students potentially on on, on the marketing program they you know are all there about all the different types of digital marketing online marketing and they They don't realize when they're in year one year two it's only when they really go out on placement that the the finance module that is delivered in semester one i think semester two of year one where they look at how to formulate a set of accounts and how to analyze that account is actually so important and so relevant to what they do when they go out there into the real world and when they come back in the final year after that placement they're like a new person They, they actually understand the real world and they've done a little bit of real world active learning
0: Great. Okay. So that, that's fantastic. We've got our Treasure Islands, you know, lots of engaged students, but also, you know, th- you are tired at the end of the day or at the end of the semester, and you will need to do some relaxing off-duty, which is just about maintaining your well-being on, the, on your islands. Can you tell us or share with us what luxury item you would take with you to help you relax off-duty?
2: I, I don't mind jumping in there first, because I don't think we see it as a luxury item anymore. But my mobile phone, uh, we just take that as just a day to day normal item. But if you take that away from anybody, they struggle. So, yeah, I think my But can I
0: challenge you on that? So you have to tell me then how you relaxing using your phone because it can't be looking at work emails or work related. So tell us about how you use your phone for relaxing.
2: Oh, that will be going through and checking how Liverpool are doing, watching football, uh, checking out the latest uh, episodes of The Mandalorian on, on Disney+. Plus, or, or, or as my sister mentioned the other day, what, she's a primary school teacher and one of the children in her class, she teaches year one, they refer to it as Disney Ad, which I found was very, very cute. Uh, as opposed <laughs> to Disney Plus. Uh, so, yeah, just keeping up to date with the news, uh, what's happening in, in the real world, uh, social media. As you, It's 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 part and part of everyday life, and we 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 tend to forget that it is actually a luxury. Uh, So that will be my luxury
0: item. Mm -hmm. Okay, great, thanks. I think we will award you that because you gave us such
3: a good explanation. Funnily enough, mine's the exact opposite of Chris's because I'm one of those people. I never have my phone on me. I hate having my mobile phone and I'll literally turn it off at the end of the work. And people ring me at night and I, I, I'm notorious in my family that I'm impossible to get hold of because my phone's always off. So my, my luxury would be the complete opposite of Chris and be my running shoes because my favourite thing in the world is to leave everything behind and go out for a run and just pretend like nobody exists. <laughs> so, Chris is really Great. social. I'm clearly really antisocial. <laughs> so I might have been my running shoes yeah
2: you you can take your mobile phone with you jen and put your earphones in and listen to your favorite songs or favorite podcasts (laughs) i
3: only (laughs) have the phone on for strava and that's it i'm one of those if anyone's a runner ridiculous the geeky runner who cares about the stats that's the only reason
2: then you can take your phone (laughs) along as well and it can track it for you
0: (laughs) okay you granted your running shoes Jennifer.
1: well well my uh, um Uh, item uh, is actually related to what we discussed just now, uh, podcasts. So during the first lockdown I got into the habit of listening to podcasts on my daily walk Um, and and it was a great way to actually walk in, you know you live in a very small world during the lockdown, but I felt connected to the world uh, through the podcasts Uh, so I love listening to podcasts on food and cooking Uh, but also, you know, some true crime uh, podcasts. It can be useful in another way as well. So last week I was listening to a podcast uh, about the Peruvian political crisis. So I just wanted to inform myself, but I was also cooking, and cooking is one of my hobbies. Uh, so it's uh, that's I think the only useful way of multitasking I can I can <laughs> think of. But podcasts uh, definitely that are those are that is my great discovery of the the pandemic.
0: Brilliant, yeah. And again, we've had Spotify requests from before, so yeah, that's that's perfect. It, with in combination with kitchen and cooking. Lovely. Joel, How about you?
4: My luxury item would be my coffee making equipment. So that's fresh beans, a grinder, an AeroPress and a variable temperature kettle. And getting my perfect daily coffee fix is as much for everyone else's benefit as it is for mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's very considerate of you. Thank you. That was lovely conversation. Thank you for sharing with us your treasure island. I loved hearing about them and hope everyone else will too. And I think the students can be very appreciative of all these experiences, which is brilliant to hear. So thank you and goodbye.